Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Jessica Donald. Hello, Texas, and thank you for joining us for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Jessica Dolmel, and I'm part of the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. We're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle all the way down to the Rio Grande Valley. When it comes to Texas High Plains cotton, the weather cost us some acres early on, but what's in the field now is looking pretty good. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Establishing a summertime Mediterranean diet. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and we'll fill you in on the ingredients on Texas Ag Today. With the good comes the bad in agriculture. This is Dr. Shane McClellan, and I'll have more from Waco. We'll have those stories, news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets coming up. A Texas congressman has introduced a House resolution designed to modernize the Endangered Species Act. Congressman August Pfluger of Texas joins us for more on House Resolution 4370, the Listing Reform Act. Right now, I mean, extreme environmental groups wield the outdated Endangered Species Act as a weapon. They, they use it against agriculture. They use it against energy. We've seen this play out numerous times in my district throughout the Permian Basin with past attempts to list the sagebrush lizard and current threats from the Biden administration to also list the lesser prairie chicken. This legislation reforms the ESA to deliver reasonable common sense protections for endangered species while also preventing the overbearing regulations that we always have seen through this administration in Washington, D.C. It also requires the federal government to analyze the actual cost that the ESA listings impose on our communities. It definitely takes into account stakeholder input, whereas the Biden administration using this and other administrations previous to this, the Obama administration notably, using it as a weapon. It's a common sense approach. It takes input from stakeholders, and it does what all of us in the agriculture business have been doing for generations, which is it truly conserves and preserves Reserves, rather than uh, weaponizing uh, this program to, uh, to something that it shouldn't do. Pluger said we can protect important species without devastating our local and rural economies. H.R. 4370 has been referred to the House Committee on Natural Resources. The bill is supported by the Texas Farm Bureau, the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association, the Permian Basin Petroleum Association, the National Endangered Species Act Reform Coalition, and the Texas Cattle Feeders Association. The cotton on the Texas High Plains is looking good this year, despite some setbacks early on. James Hunt has that report for us from Amarillo. Getting this cotton season going was no easy matter. At planting time, rain and cool temperatures meant significant delays for many area farmers as they tried to get cotton seed in the ground. And some fields that did get planted on time got zapped by hail. With all of that, Cody Besant of Plains Cotton Growers says acres are down a bit this year. We are seeing 
any shortage compared to the last three to four year averages of what we see on acres. Usually, if you get north of the Plainview area, you'll see about a million acres of planted cotton in the last four to five years. Probably 750,000 to maybe 500,000 acres is where we're at today. But despite setbacks early on, once the season did get going for cotton, Besson says things have moved along quite well. We've received timely rain throughout the vast majority of the growing region. Most crop stages are anywhere from two to three leaves, all the way up to five to six. And then now we're starting to see bloom, which is traditional for this time of year. One thing we will need going forward is we will need probably another periodic rain through the August time frame. And then we also need to catch up on heat units. However, while warmer days would help, Besant is not rooting for outright scorchers. We don't want 100, 105 degree temperatures at a consistent rate because that could be detrimental to the crop as well. Other things that will be needed in some area cotton fields include fighting the pest known as flea hoppers, which are being spotted around the area, and also winning a battle with weeds, which are up this year thanks to our moisture. And speaking of herbicides, a quick reminder, the dicamba deadline is just days away. In order to stay on label, stay on target, the label for spraying dicamba ends from a labeling period at the end of the month, so July 31st. So those that are still trying to use that as an over-the-top product for a weed-resistant combatant, be mindful of that. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. If you're considering the Mediterranean diet, Dr. James Sharp and Tom Nicoletti have a few tips for us. My guest in our Waco studio today is Dr. James Sharp. He is a Waco physician. And Dr. Sharp, when we talk about a Mediterranean diet, uh, we uh, add uh, certain foods and subtract others. And uh, those that we need to think about adding this summer as we speak, uh, fresh fruits and fresh vegetables. That's right. So the Mediterranean diet comes from, historically, the Mediterranean area has a diet rich in olives, olive oil, the dark green leafy vegetables, uh, tomatoes, cucumbers, bright, fresh, crispy, tasty vegetables. And then uh, typically we'll have uh, some fruits with that and fish or poultry type of meat. But we live in Texas. Most of the people listening to us are going to be in Texas. We could call this a Texas diet because these are the types of vegetables that are grown on the farms around here uh, or even in people's backyard gardens. I always look forward to the spring when our tomatoes and cucumbers are growing. It's just, it's so refreshing. And I think that matches so well with the heat during our summer because you go inside, you don't want to turn on the oven and get put a bunch more heat into the house. Open up the refrigerator, pull out some uh, vegetables, get some tomatoes there, slice it all up, put that together, pour a little bit of olive oil on it. And you've got a great Texas variation of the Mediterranean diet. The great thing about the Mediterranean diet is it is, as I understand it, the the best studied, best substantiated beneficial diet for preventing or uh, lowering the risks of heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure. Even the frequency of cancer has been shown to be diminished in groups of people that are faithful to the Mediterranean diet. So you mentioned the, the fresh, crisp, tasty uh, foods during the hot months of, uh, of the year, but then uh, there are some foods uh, that uh, should be subtracted so that that Mediterranean diet is maintained. Right. Some foods that, uh, so, so animal fats are not on that list. Processed foods, even cooked foods, really, if it makes sense visually, the farther away you are from the origin of the food, the less benefits you're going to see from this diet. So if you cook your vegetables, you're losing some of that. 
But if it's been processed and frozen and you add a bunch of sugar or a bunch of salt to it, all these things contribute to diminishing the healthy aspects of, of food. That advice from Dr. James Sharp. He is a Waco physician. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A bit earlier, we had an update on Texas High Plains cotton from James Hunt. Now let's see how things are faring in Central Texas. Shane McClellan has more. Farming and ranching in Texas is extremely challenging. Central Texas, we have been fortunate to receive more than our normal rainfall during a typical dry time of the year. This means most of our crops, our forages, etc., are growing and green, when normally these crops will be dealing with heat and drought stress. With all of the extra growth and opportunity to, to make money, there's also added challenges. For our hay producers, that challenge is in the form of armyworms. The fertilized, weed-free, high-quality hay meadows are growing a lot more forage than normal, high-quality hay. That's the first place that the armyworms have hit. The cooler and wet growing conditions have caused multiple armyworm outbreaks. The key to management is scouting those fields early before an economic damage has, has actually occurred. Uh, any infestation of more than two to three armyworms that would be half an inch or longer uh, per square foot can wreak some economic havoc on our hay fields, and they should be sprayed at those population levels. As long as we stay in this cool and wet weather pattern, these armyworm outbreaks are going to continue to occur. Corn is growing off well and enjoying the cool and wet growing conditions. Yield is expected to be good, but probably not as promising as it was in mid-season. Our current weather is lengthening out our growing season as those corn plants are not drying down as they typically would in the hot weather that we usually see in July. Same situation for grain sorghum. Uh, Corn silage harvest has been ongoing for weeks now and it has slowed down here lately. Cotton is enjoying the July rain. It's actually improved from the rocky start of the cotton growing season. Our late planted cotton has almost caught up in growth with the early planted cotton. The rain that continues in our region, you know, we've had stretches where we've had six inches within a week at a time. It's really hard to cut and bell hay when we stay that wet. Quality drastically decreases when you cut hay. It gets rained on. You've got to tet it or windrow it multiple times to try to dry it out before it rains the next time. Uh, Until next time, this has been Dr. Shane McClellan from Waco. Milk production continues to grow as the U.S. dairy herd expands. USDA's Gary Crawford has more. Milk production may not be growing as much as some had expected, but the latest USDA milk production report shows that during the April through June quarter, U.S. milk output was still 3.7% higher than the same spring quarter last year at just over 58 billion pounds. This was produced by a herd averaging just over 9.5 million head, about 141,000 more than the same spring quarter last year. We have milk per cow numbers for June now, coming in at about 27 pounds more than June a year ago. Coming to us shortly, USDA will have its twice-yearly cattle inventory report. That'll give us an even better idea of the dairy inventory and will include producer intentions as far as how many heifers they intend to retain for dairy cow replacement. Earlier this month, USDA's Outlook Board projected the average all-milk price next year would increase by about 1% despite a possible production increase of about 1.5%. That report from USDA's Gary Crawford. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has extended emergency fishing regulations in the Laguna Madre. I'll have that story coming up. Bovine respiratory disease is one of the leading causes of death in calves. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. For today's vet news, we're joined by Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd, who has some valuable information for us on bovine respiratory disease. In a recent study out of Kansas State, looked at the response of newborn calves to two intranasal vaccines containing bovine herpes virus and parainfluenza. And one vaccine also contained bovine respiratory syncytial virus, or BRSV. These intranasal vaccines were given to calves 5 to 14 days of age, and there was some concern about vaccinating these calves since they had immunoglobulins from colostrum. Results of other studies revealed that bacterial pathogens of the respiratory tract colonized the upper respiratory tract of calves within the first week of life. Previous studies have shown that interferon is increased after infection and vaccination in young calves. And this study found that these interferons were increased after vaccination of these calves even though they had colostrum. These interferons stimulate immunity and help calves to fight off infections, including infections not even contained in the vaccine. The interferon increase was noted three days after vaccination, peaked at five days, and was gone by day 10. The vaccine that contained BRSV actually had a lower response in the calves, and the authors were not sure why this is the case. Regardless, the study showed that intranasal vaccination of 5- to 14-day-old calves increased immunity against not only the viral infections in the vaccine, but also bacteria that were not in the vaccine by increasing overall immunity. If you raise calves, talk with your vet about vaccinating your newborn calves with intranasal vaccine to increase immunity against respiratory disease. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A decline in spotted sea trout populations has prompted the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department to extend its emergency regulations in the Laguna Madre for another 60 days. The emergency regulations were initially implemented April 1st due to significant losses after the winter freeze in February and were set to expire at the end of the month, but now they'll remain in place through late September. TPWD says the rule will reduce harvest pressure and leave more mature fish in the water during the summer spawning season. The regulations apply to the bays and beach fronts of the upper and lower Laguna Madre Bay systems. There's a three-fish bag limit for spotted sea trout in those areas now, a minimum size length of 17 inches and a maximum size length of 23 inches. No fish over 23 inches may be retained. According to Parks and Wildlife, their preliminary data shows the decline in the spotted sea trout population is significant enough to warrant the extension of the rule. Carter Smith, TPWD's executive director, said declines in spotted sea trout populations are evident now in multiple Texas bays. He said while the extension is warranted now in the Laguna Madre, additional focus on the fishery recovery in the San Antonio and the Matagorda Bay systems is needed as well. 
He says the next step is working with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission this fall to further evaluate the data, solicit additional input from the public, and secure guidance from the commission on what management and regulatory actions may be necessary to facilitate the quickest recovery possible. The commission will receive an update on freeze impacts during a public meeting August 25th and 26th. You can find additional details about those emergency regulations on the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department website. That's tpwd.texas.gov, tpwd.texas.gov. Again, for now, these emergency rules apply to the Laguna Madre through September 27th. Cotton stayed steady around that 90-cent mark for much of the day Friday, and cattle were trading higher. And corn was trading lower as the U.S. corn crop moves closer to harvest. We'll take a look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. And we're back looking at another lopsided matchup, Jim. Today we have a combine taking on a train. Yeah, that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine. No competition there. Right, especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train. That's 18 football fields. It's no contest. Every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks, think train. This message brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Live cattle traded higher for much of the day Friday. August live cattle up 70 cents to 121.50. October live cattle up 47 cents to 127.15. December live cattle up 45 cents to 132.30. Corn traded lower for much of the day Friday, and that allowed feeder cattle to trade higher for much of the day as well. August feeder cattle up $1.87 to $160.07. September feeder cattle up $1.82 to $162.52. October feeder cattle up $1.87 to $164.50. Box beef traded higher for much of the day Friday. Choice up $0.42 cents to $266.56. Select was up $1.24 to $251.01. Now let's check those livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Rodney Butler sold cattle last Friday. Rodney, how'd that last sale shake out? Oh, we got along real well. That old market, you know, we were closed for the holiday and then we were closed for the flood. The old calves sure have grown and were good. We had a good set of calves and market was sure enough high, sir. Let's walk the pens. All right, we had 309 head of cattle, one horse, and 70 sheep and goat. 200, 300 pound steers, $1.86 to $1.95. Heifers, $1.43 to $1.70. 300, 400 pound steers, $1.58 to $1.91. Heifers, $1.38 to $1.74. Your 400, 500 pound steers, $1.48 to $1.72. Heifers, $1.34 to $1.80, and that was on some replacement heifers. Your 500, 600 pound steers, $1.34 to $1.60. Heifers were $1.28 to $1.85. 600 to 700 pound steers, $1.34 to $1.44. Heifers, $1.23 to $1.29. And your 700 to 800 pound steers were $1.33 to $1.38. And heifers were $1.11 to $1.22. Packer cows are pretty steady. We had some really good 
uh, Packer cows this Friday. They brought anywhere from 35 to 71 cents. Bulls brought from 59 to 95. And our young stocker cows brought anywhere from 57 to 76. And we didn't have any bred cows or pairs this last Friday. What do you know for this coming week? Uh, I know of a couple of bunches of cattle coming this week. Going to work cattle uh, Wednesday and Thursday. And then I know a few more cattle coming. So we ought to have a 350 to 400 this next Friday, depending on the weather, sir. I understand. Tell everybody how to contact you in Beeville. Yeah, if I can help you market your cattle, call me at 361-358-1727 or call me on my mobile, 645-5002. Texas Neighbors, that's it for Walking the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm your host, Larry Marble. Good day to you. Lean hogs rallied in nearby contracts Friday. August lean hogs up 70 cents to 107.35. October lean hogs up 90 cents to 92.62. Black cheese was up four and a quarter cents on Friday to $1.58 with no loads traded. Barrel cheese was up three cents to $1.40 with 15 loads traded. That led to class three milk closing even to higher. July class three milk even at 16.57 a hundred weight. August class three milk up 12 cents to 16.51. Cotton hovered around the 90 cent mark for much of the day Friday, but fell short of the 90.59 cent high that we saw on Thursday. October cotton up 5 points to 90.32. December cotton down 20 points to 89.66. Corn traded lower for much of the day Friday as we near closer to harvest. September corn down 17 and a quarter to 547 and a quarter. December corn down 18 and a quarter to 543. September hard red wheat down 7 and 3 quarters to 646. December hard red wheat down 7 and a half to 657 and a quarter. July hard red wheat up 5 to 617 and a half. August soybeans were down 15 and a quarter to 1401. November soybeans down 10 and a half to 1351 and 3 quarters. August natural gas was up 5 cents to 405. September natural gas was up 5 cents to 403. September crude oil up 11 cents to 72.02 a barrel. October crude oil up 19 cents to 71.33 a barrel. Now let's check out those financial markets. The Dow was up 198 points Friday to 35,021. The S&P 500 was up 41 points to 4,408. And the NASDAQ was up 141 points to 14,825. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets. And that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Remember, we'll be right here next time to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Domel, and I hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.